Hello, this is live from the convent, and today I will be speaking with Neil Webster, who decided to buy a ghost train in Blackpool, and he currently lives on the ghost train within the, the tunnel, and he lives there with people he met at the Dole office, and it seems to be working out quite well. Neil, you're very welcome. Would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Neil Webster, and I own and live on a ghost train in Blackpool. It's a very extraordinary thing to decide to suddenly do. Do you see this as like a vocation? Is it something you've always planned? I'd always said when I retire, I would go and buy a ghost train and live on it. All the boys, they'd be laughing at me. It weren't unrealistic. I could afford it. It was cheaper than a house by the sea. But you could have bought a caravan or a houseboat. They're cheaper. I mean, a ghost train, it's almost a strange choice. It's not so strange, really. I'd always felt at home on a ghost train, really comfortable. Like everything I seen was completely natural. I mean, ghosts, skeletons that glowed in the dark. These are things that spoke to me. They made sense. These things never made me bat an eyelid. And there was something about the darkness that made me feel at home. I always think these bright lights, this 4K, everything crystal clear, it's wrong. Where's the mystery? Daily reality is much stranger, much more unnatural, I think. I mean, how people conduct themselves at a bus stop. Electricity. It's mad. Punching numbers and then you go through to someone else's house on a telephone. The mind boggles. Don't get me started on cling film. The sound of tinfoil. It makes me tongue curl. Flowers growing from a seed. Cans of carbonated drink. How do they get it all? into the cylindrical can, blows my mind. That's interesting. I never thought about a ghost train like that before. So why don't you tell us how you started all of this? The story of how it all started is a bit like the story of UB40. We all met at the Dole office and it was me and this Southern American girl. And we hit it off. And I thought there was never a better time to buy the ghost train and to get it started. So when you say Southern America, are you talking about Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, one of those countries? Was she from one of those places? And also, how do you 
approach somebody and pitch to them the idea of the ghost train. I mean, I'm assuming that's up there as one of the most unusual and unique propositions. Firstly, I think you need to slow down because you've asked two completely different questions. She was from Texas is the answer to the first question. And the second question, what was it again? Oh, right. How do you approach someone like that? The same way you'd approach someone to say, do you want a cup of tea? I just, I put it to her. And luckily, she got what I meant. She was sitting there with a guitar. She looked so sweet. And I felt sorry for her. I knew she'd get out from the Dole office. So really, it were the best offer. And what about Blackpool? How did Blackpool react? Were locals happy with you stepping in and rejuvenating their ghost train? Or did you have some opposition? You also told me that you're not from there. So I don't know, that might have caused a bit of tension. Blackpool needed a shove. It was dying. It were only natural. I stepped in. And I really did step up to the plate. What is it about ghost trains that hooks you? What is it about the experience of a ghost train that gets you so much? My favourite part is the way the train quickly switches direction because of the clever squiggles on the track. Life is never so sweetly unpredictable. But I love the loss of control. I've got to ask you this. Have you ever seen a ghost? There's a real ghost that lives there. And I really do want to tell you more about it. But I'm a bit nervous because I feel like he follows me. I feel like he followed me right here. Right here, right now. And I don't want to make him mad. I've got to go back with him. I've got to live with him. So if he's here, I just want to say hi. Yes, hello. And I want to give a shout out to his mates. If his mates are around as well, if he's taking them out for the day. I don't want to piss any ghosts off. No, and just for the record, I don't want to piss any ghosts off either. And I want them to feel welcome. And I want him and his mates to know as well, if they had bank accounts, I would transfer the monies because they work hard. And I do appreciate it. I bet they do work hard. They lend an atmosphere to the ghost train, to the tunnels, and that doesn't go unnoticed. Okay, lads. Can you tell us anything about these ghosts? Do you know anything about their history? Well, I know one of them was a bin man. And I know another one. He had a dart stand. The one that you'd win teddies and that. There was an entire family that died on the saucers at the fun fair. And that's a really sad story. And I do believe that they're there as well. Wow, that's fascinating. But how do you 
know these details for sure. Have they told you? Do you hear them whisper this information? No, I just know. Sometimes you don't need information to be said or to be heard. You just, you know it in your bones. And I knew those stories when I bought the train. Are they friendly spirits or malevolent spirits? They're moody, just like me or you. Monday, they could be fine. Tuesday, it could be all over. You just have to watch it. Try not to get in their way. And what are they like on a Wednesday? Well, one of them likes to eat these Pulowski pretzel sticks from Lidl. That's predominantly what they'll do on a Wednesday. And they'll really crunch down on it. Like you'll be able to hear it over the sound of the train going through the tunnel, which can be a bit unnerving, but I wouldn't say they're being malevolent by doing that. So moving on from the ghosts, tell me a little bit about the living people that work with you on the ghost train experience. Well, I brought one of them here. And her name's Christine. So, Christine, do you want to say something? Christine, you're very welcome. And you're from Texas, and you met Neil at the Dole office. Yes, hello, and thank you for having me. Um, I met Neil, I can't even remember when. Uh, but I was in the Dole office, and I was just waiting around. And I didn't think I had a hope in hell. And I had my guitar. And all I wanted to do was sing. I didn't want to do anything else. And I even remember strumming and just singing one of my songs, uh, which is called A Man from Mantua. It went something like, A man from Mantua. He called me up one night. He had an out-of-town accent. He kept me up all right. Anyway, went something like that. And Neil was around. He was looking over at me. And I thought he looked just charming. And I didn't know anybody else. I had just been off the plane. I would say, I don't know. A few hours, a couple of hours, I just headed straight for the office. I planned my flight around the working hours of the Dole office. That's how, that's how little money I had. I mean, I had some dollars on me, but I didn't have any, I didn't have any money for the country. And uh, for the UK, you know, I didn't have any sterling. And so I was, I was real worried. I really thought this was the end game. Actually, I was still, uh, you know, I don't know if I should say this, but I actually was in my wedding dress. I had just come directly uh, from my own wedding. I had left my my fiancé at the altar. You know, I just had this instinct that something was not right about him. Oh, wow, really? So 
you left a man at the altar. Yeah, it's not something I'm really proud of. It's just something that happened, and I'm not one to really deliberate very long over my decisions. I really listen to what my gut tells me. I'm a gut girl. I think everybody should listen to their gut. The problem is that you can't really plan long-term. You're just kind of going with the way of the wind, and I'm not sure I should recommend that to everybody. But, you know, where I'm working right now with Neil and with those ghosts who are real, by the way, that suits me right down to the ground because, actually, even though I'm from Texas and you would never think that somebody from Texas would have this problem. I actually have a, a vitamin D problem. I can't absorb vitamin D. My body doesn't know what to do with vitamin D, so being in the dark and being in the tunnels is the best possible thing for me. So it's like Neil was a godsend. So do you mind me asking, Christine, what does your act entail uh, for the ghost train experience? Well, my act, very much like my outfit, and it's kind of my favorite outfit to wear now, <laughs> despite its history, uh, the Jilted Bride Act. So what happens is when people, when they sit on the train, and we don't have that many customers every day, but the customers that we allow on the train, uh, so it's like the reverse of pickpocket, and this guy... Uh, he plants a ring box on one of the customers. So he slips it in without them realizing it into their coat pocket or into their trousers pocket, something like that, or their shirt pocket. And then as the train's gone around, the first part they see me in an alcove and I'm just singing my songs real sweetly and there's a green light on me and does look a little bit eerie, but there's nothing too scary about me. But then they sing me further down, and I'm just all over. I'm all over them. And I start feeling for their pockets and, and feeling for that ring box. And actually, I used to be a real good climber. So sometimes I'm on the ceiling of the tunnel, or other times I'm on the side of the wall. Uh, of course, I have climbing support, so I can just wait there, just kind of hang there, and I just fall on them or I leap on them, and the screams, oh, my God, oh, my gosh, you would not believe the screams. <laughs> I have seen grown men and young boys wet themselves, and that never gets old. And then I, I found the ring box on them. And I said, you know, I say things like, don't you have a question to ask me? Don't you have a question to ask me? Ask me the question. And it kind of goes on like that. And it's real hysterical. I mean, real hysterical. And, I mean, that's scary enough for men anyway. But this really gets them. Do you think people still get scared? by the ghost train, I mean, genuinely. All the way we do it, yeah. I mean, 100%. The 
the kind of people Christine is referring to. We have people working here on a rotation basis and all of their ideas have been turned down by theatres, by production companies. And what we do is we let them trial their act here, no matter how bonkers it is. And let's just say things can get pretty odd and pretty scary pretty quickly. Right, Christine? Oh, there was this guy even from last week, as I think about it. His name was Alphonsus, and he came in with this clear bag, this clear big bag of false teeth. And they were from all over the world. They were labeled with country names. And we could not believe this. And he had a whole act all around these false teeth. And let me tell you, it was terrifying. I found it terrifying, even after watching it maybe ten times. The oddest things you can possibly dream up from people who've been rejected and neglected time and time again they get to have the stage on the ghost train. And let me tell you, the audience are in for a treat every time. And remember, all of these acts from the Dole office, they'd still be looking for jobs. They'd be stuck in jobs that they're not very happy with. And here, they have a place where they can be themselves. I think that's quite nice. And here's something that might surprise you. The Chinese love this ghost train. They're coming to Blackpool on purpose, going out of their way and coming to the ghost train in Blackpool. That's interesting. Uh, why do you think the Chinese are so fond of what you've put together here on, on the ghost train? The Chinese love it. They love an enigma, and that's exactly what's going on in the train. It's not just a bit of kitsch. They're curious, they're open-minded. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're horrified and disgusted by it as well. But I've even had offers, money offers, for them to stay over in the ghost train with me and Christine and the, the ghosts, of course. But I've had to think about insurance and, and things like that, so I've always had to say no, unfortunately. But they really get it. They really get what we're doing here, maybe even more so than anyone else in the UK. So given that you own and run the ghost train and that you don't live elsewhere you stay over every night and essentially this is your home you live here what is that like i must sit on that ghost train about 200 times a day and i ruddy love it I never get bored. 
And then last thing at night, we all go to sleep on a stage, all of us in costume. And it's so peaceful. It's really peaceful. And we build a fire in the tunnel and we have a barbecue. Every day is a barbecue. We have chicken fillets, beef patties, everything you can think of, courgettes, corn, and we love it. So, Christine, uh, you stay over with Neil every night in the ghost train. What do you think you would have done if Neil didn't approach you in the dole office that day and didn't offer you the shelter or the job? Oh, wow. That's a real good question. Sometimes when it's real late and I'm lying there awake and Neil is a snorer, by the way. I'm not a snorer. I've never snored in my life. Trust me when I tell you, Neil is a snorer. But when I'm lying awake, uh, I do sometimes think about what would have happened or maybe if I had stayed and I had married Trevor, where would I be? And I guess that would be very different life. I mean, even if I called up Trevor now and I told him what I was doing, I think he would be really surprised. I mean, I guess he never understood why I wanted to sing. And a lot of the people back home never really understood that. It was all about getting a good job and just getting on. Not really about you know, things like singing and acting, they're a luxury and not really for people like me. And I'm not saying either that I'm really doing what I had wanted to do and I said initially that I like to sing. Being in a ghost train or being part of a ghost train act isn't like living the dream like it is in Hollywood or any of those kind of places on the West End. It's really, and I've come to understand it now, it's really special. I am so grateful to Neil for approaching me that day, for having the gumption and for having just the initiative to come up and and speak to me and to offer me just that that kindness, that opportunity. He didn't know me. I could have been anyone. Hell, I could have been a murderer. <laughs> I mean, I've got a nice smile and I've got a nice face, but you never know, right? Especially if I'm from Texas. <laughs> That's a joke that get back home. Not really here. But, you know, I'm really glad uh, that, that Neil came up to me, and I'm real appreciative of it. And I get to sing my songs. And sometimes, you know, you have a producer that passed through, and they, a music producer, and, and they let me record a song. And, you know, I write songs too. So I've got other opportunities off the back of this opportunity. 
So, Neil, what would you have done if you didn't buy the ghost train? I would have bought a caravan and I would have lived on a cliff edge and I would have had a vegetable patch and I would have had a dog named Roy and I would have been fine. That's just me. Things work out for me. Not always the road that everybody wants to travel, but that's the great thing. It means I get to try something and follow through with it. Has anyone ever had a heart attack on the ghost train as a final question? Yes, we did have an old man once and he died and it was really sad. We were all really shocked. All that day was really black. That was so bad. And I guess I feel a little bit responsible for it. I even wrote a song about it because it was my way of of dealing with it. I didn't get sued or I didn't get arrested or anything, but I came right down from the ceiling that day when I was talking about my act earlier on and I'd been waiting for the, the carriage to come through and I just fell right onto his lap, right on. And he died right there and then. And, yeah, I've never really got over that, and I feel so terrible. But according to his daughter, who, who was on the ride with him, she said, that she's never seen him as happy. The look on his face, it was just frozen there. It was one of satisfaction and accomplishment. And she says she's never seen anything like that expression on his face. And she felt that he was somewhere better. He'd had a really tough life. And she said, I was just the type of woman that he would have loved to have known a little bit better. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the answer to your question. I felt really terrible about that. And actually, it happened at the exact moment. There was a massive queue at the side of, of the ghost train. I mean, it was massive. And then the ambulance came along and, you know, it was taken out on a stretcher and... Very strangely, it's the best piece of publicity we've ever had. People were talking about it for for months. And (laughs) it really did a lot. I mean, it was more marketing for for the company, really, than than any flyer or poster or anything else we've ever stuck up around the town. It It was odd. I want to thank you both so much um, for speaking with me today. It was a pleasure. Thank you.